The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. A man said to me, I've already repented of my sin. I came to Jesus quite some time ago, but I keep struggling with my sin. I grow discouraged, and I turn back, and I go back to the old ways. What's wrong with me? Why can't I overcome? And then, with a sense of desperation, he said to me, Shall I just turn away? Is it no longer possible for me to be saved? I've repented, and if there's no second repentance, or third repentance, can I even be saved? 
Shall I just give up and go about my life? I said, oh, my brother, no. Please understand. You have never truly repented and been converted. You've never truly given your life into the hand of Jesus Christ. You have taken a few sins that you know are dominating sins, alcohol and others, and you have dealt with those sins by pushing them down, allowing Jesus to even remove some. But the core of your being is still pagan. You have never utterly given yourself over to Jesus Christ. A man who weeps in his alcoholism cannot gain the victory. Finally said, I guess Jesus will just have to accept me like I am because I can't gain the victory over my alcohol. I said to him, Jesus will not accept you as you are because you have never repented. Well, what does the word repent mean? It means you've changed your mind. It means you have turned your back on your rebellion against Jesus and have utterly, totally, and completely given yourself to obedience to Jesus Christ. It is a work of grace. It is by faith in the blood of Jesus. But it is a full, complete work of repentance. And in that, you experience the cleansing of the whole being. You experience renewal by the Holy Spirit. And you walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus. The scriptures are alive to you. Prayer is the breath of your soul. Righteousness is the action you take constantly, day in and day out. There is no wavering. There is no doubting. There is no disobedience. You walk clean in Jesus. I dare say to you, probably in America, more than 90% of those who call themselves Christians have never truly repented and are not converted and are not born from above and are not going to go to heaven. Because in our culture, we have so cheaply treated the grace of Jesus. We have so grieved the Holy Spirit that there's no way we can be saved if we are not utterly converted and repent before the Holy God of heaven. Now, if this seems unfair to you, I want to look with you in the scriptures. I want to show you some things that may amaze you. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis, the first chapter, is the record, the orderly record, day by day, of a seven-day creation where God breathes 
And we're told in Galatians or Colossians 1, John, the gospel, chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that Jesus was the one who spoke in the beginning and created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 1 is that orderly presentation of the facts of God's creating everything you see. Now, chapter 2 begins with God resting, Jesus resting on the seventh day. Now, we find not an ordered story of creation, but deep insight into what was happening during the creation time. Verse 7, Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So the breath you have right now is the breath of God. He gave it to you. I challenge you. Hold your breath. See how long you can hold it. Say, I'm not going to breathe God's breath anymore. I'm going to stop breathing. See how long you can do that. I can stop breathing without a lot of labor for 60 seconds. I can't go much beyond that. How long can you go? The breath of God is in us. It does not belong to you. It does not belong to me. It belongs to God who gave it to us. He formed our body out of the dust of the earth. We are God's piece of artwork. We were meant for him. Now, there was a garden planted in the east in Eden, in the Hebrew, in the east, signifies a new beginning. This was a new beginning for the earth. And it was focused around a beautiful garden. It was a place of courtship, where God would come in the cool of the day, and he would walk with Adam and later with Eve. God was courting Adam and Eve as his prospective wife. This has always been God's plan. Read Ephesians, the first chapter. God loved Adam, and God was going to love Eve. But Eve is not yet created. Now, in the middle of the garden, there are two trees. One is called the tree of life, and the other is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam is told, Do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of it, you will die. In other words, if you rebel against me and choose to become your own God, and you choose to make your own choices and your own decisions, and you separate from me, I am going to call my breath back to myself for it belongs to me. It is my breath, and you will die, and your body will disintegrate and will return to the dust from which it was taken. This is 
God's statement of absolute ownership over you today. How many times I've stood at a graveside, or how many times I have watched in the hours of night, holding the hand of a dear one, as they passed into eternity and the breath of life returned to God. And all that was left was a shell. They were gone. We find that in this garden, they are told to work it, to take care of it. This is Genesis 2, verse 15. To work in the Hebrew is literally to keep it in bondage. Well, let's go back. In chapter 1, they are told to subdue the earth. Rather, they are told to tame the earth. Their assignment is to be in charge of all of the fish and the birds, the beasts, all of the animals, they are to create of the entire earth a beautiful garden, and they have as the model the garden that God created that they live in. So their life work was to walk with God and to create of the earth an Eden, a beautiful place, a beautiful, stunning garden. They're to take care of it. That is, keep it in bondage so that it does not go into chaos. They are to take care of it. That is, to put a hedge around it, to protect it, to hold it as something precious, to not lose track of how precious the earth is. And the command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God brought all of the animals before Adam, and he named them. And there was no suitable helper, helpmate for Adam. And so God took a portion of his side and out of that created what is called a woman. Literally in the Hebrew, a man with a womb a man with a womb. So God is now giving to Adam and this beautiful woman, Eve, the mother of all things, the ability to create other children, men and women, in the image of God. And the breath of God will enter them. So for this reason, the scriptures say, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You notice it does not say the woman will leave her father and, and mother and be united to her husband. Just the reverse. I want you to see that from the very beginning of the creation, God loved and respected women. He gave them a partnership in the most important creation that had ever been created, a beautiful earth that they were going to transform together as partners into this place of exquisite beauty. But now, 
their beautiful paradise is invaded by a serpent, please, a dragon. And if today you have a dragon tattooed on your arm or your back or your leg, know that you are in direct violation and you are in league with this devil serpent, this dragon. It is through all of Scripture, a symbol of wickedness and death. Some of you have skulls tattooed on your body because the dragon worships at the altar of death, not at the altar of life. And we have in Genesis very clearly laid out the ownership of God, and now the dragon serpent coming, And so the dragon serpent worships at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, while Adam and Eve are to eat of and partake of only the tree of life. There are two trees today. There is the tree of life, which we now know under the new covenant represents Jesus Christ, eating his body and drinking his blood spiritually. But we also know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil remains where a man or a woman says, I will retain for myself the right to make my own choices and my own decisions in rebellion against the tree of life. So she sees that this tree is pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom The serpent is telling her, you will not surely die. That God is somehow withholding from you. This is still the the mantra of darkness. What? You mean you can't go to the club? You mean you're telling me that God doesn't want me to go and do the dirty dancing and the grinding and the groping? Are you serious? You mean God doesn't want me to go to these places of utter filth? Well, what happens when you go there? Your conscience is seared. Your heart lies. You're in disobedience. And destruction will come upon you. So this woman, the partner sees all these wonderful attributes that she thinks are important. She reaches out and takes the fruit. God did not tell Eve that she was not to eat of that tree. Adam communicated that to her. And now Adam stands by and allows his wife to do this, does not warn her and say, Honey, don't touch that tree or we will die. And then Adam makes the fatal choice. He puts his love for Eve ahead of his love for God. And he too takes of the tree and eats. As soon as they do that, their eyes are opened and they see their utter nakedness. In the Hebrew, they see their inner brokenness their inner uncleanness. They are naked. They are ashamed. 
they try to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. And then they hear the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hide from God. What would have happened if they had rushed to the Lord, weeping and saying, We have sinned against you. We have disobeyed you. Please, please forgive us for this wickedness. But they didn't do that. They hide from God. Now I recognize my saying to you that most of you listening to this broadcast, the vast majority, have never truly repented. You've never truly been converted. You've just been socialized in a, in a Western church belief about Jesus. But you still own yourself. You still make your own choices and your own decisions. Somehow, you're still hiding from God. Some of you are troubled by this. I pray that yesterday's broadcast was very troubling to you. If you have not heard it, I urge you to go on the website, nationalprayerchapel.com, and listen to the broadcast for November 13, 2017. It is a classic. You need to listen to it very carefully. God calls out, where are you? Or, come here. They finally come out of hiding, and they begin to make excuses for their sin. They are driven out of their garden. Curses are placed upon them and upon the ground. But the Lord makes a garment of skin for them and covers their nakedness. Do you understand what's happened here? It is so deep. It is so profound. They have lost their spiritual connection with God. They are naked. They have changed their very natures. They have sided with darkness. They have sided with the devil. They are now in charge of their own life and their own destiny, but they cannot be because the breath that is in them does not belong to them. It belongs to God. And now it is only his grace and his mercy that allows this breath to remain in them. Do you hear me? The fact that you are alive and can listen to this broadcast is a sign of God's great mercy and grace for you that is yet being extended because today is the day of salvation. The breath you breathe should have, by this time, returned to God and you should be dead in trespasses and sins and the judgment of God should have already fallen on you, and you should be dead, moldering in the ground because of your sin. Now, what are you going to do about that? You can blow off what I'm saying and say, Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. That does not change reality. 
I've just shared with you out of the book of Genesis the reality of God's ownership of you and of how Adam and Eve turned in rebellion. And are Adam and Eve alive today? No. They died. Their breath returned to God. Your breath is going to return to God when his mercy runs out for you. If you do not repent, hell will be your place of abode. A burning fire, misery, punishment. Because you walked with the serpent. The fire of hell was never meant for a Christian. It was never meant for a human person. It was and is being prepared even now for the devil and his angels who knew the Lord God of heaven and rebelled against him. But all who follow the dragon will be cast into the fire of hell. And you yet, because you have the breath of God, have an opportunity, however short-lived that will be for you. Now we see very quickly that God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. It is the most precious and first promise of deliverance and Messiah, else all of the human race, the breath of God would have returned to God and they would have perished instantly. But it says, I will put enmity, that is, I will put hatred between you, serpent dragon. I will put hatred between you and the woman, that is, the church, that is, the human race has an opportunity to turn away, a small window of opportunity to turn away from the dragon. Between your offspring and hers, he that is, the Messiah, will crush your head, Satan. He will kill you, and you will strike his heel. And Jesus was stricken on the cross, but he came forth from that grave in victory. The devil will remain with his head crushed in hell. And all who follow him will be crushed also. Now, please understand, every kind of wickedness now springs up upon the earth. Adam and Eve have a son who becomes a murderer. Violence erupts all over the earth until finally the violence after many years becomes so horrific. Man becomes so utterly corrupt. God said, I'm going to collect my breath from the human race. He finds one family that's righteous, one man, Noah. He tells Noah to build an ark. As Noah's up on the scaffolding, looking out over the countryside, he sees everyone going about their business as usual, lying, cheating, lusting, fornicating. He sees the people doing every wicked thing, but he knows that in a very short time, every one of those people will die. I feel a bit like that 
I look around and I see men and women going about their business. I see the violence constantly in our nation and in the world. I see the judgments of God being poured out on California with fire. I believe as goes California, so will go the nation, and America will burn. I see the judgments being poured out. The only thing that will bring God's relief from that judgment will be earnest, real, serious repentance. I frankly see no sign of that in America. And as I walk around, I recognize John Bunyan was right when he wrote of Christian as he was leaving the city of destruction. He read in the book about the fires coming. I walk around in America today and I see the fire of God coming upon this nation. And I am so deeply grieved, I sometimes just lay on my face and weep before God, pleading for revival, pleading that men and women would recognize that their breath does not belong to them. They have no right to it. It belongs to God. Jesus came. God himself, the creator God, came among men. And as he comes among men, the first thing he does, the scriptures say, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The authority of God is going to be exercised on the earth. It's almost here. Repent. What's he mean, repent? He means change your mind and turn aside from the serpent. Turn aside from the dragon, and turn to the Son of the living God. And when we read in Acts, the second chapter, Peter is speaking. Chapter 3, verse 14, verse 19, through that whole section, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. What are they to repent of? They're they're to repent of crucifying Jesus Christ. They're to repent of their sin, of their rebellion against the Messiah. Did they? Many did not in Jerusalem. And Jesus himself prophesied, this city will be destroyed because you have rejected me, the Messiah. And in A.D. 70, that judgment was carried out in the most horrific manner as over a million Jewish people, men, women, and children, were killed by Titus and the Roman soldiers. And their breath returned to God, and their bodies returned to dust. Now, if you look... At verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so we find Peter preaching. Repent. Repent. Now, the same word is to you today. Will you repent? Well, what should I repent of? Well, I'll read you a hit list. It's not pretty. Galatians, the fifth chapter, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The sinful nature being the wicked bowing down to the dragon to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, being in charge of yourself, determining your own course, not being subject to Jesus Christ, who was the creator God, who breathed his breath of life into you. Now here's the hit list. Number one, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality includes every form of sexual lust. With the eyes, Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her. The lust of the eyes. Impurity. Debauchery. It's party time. Let's go to the club tonight. Let's go dancing tonight. Let's go to the movies. Debauchery. Let's sit and watch the television and let's participate in the NFL. Debauchery. Wickedness before God, it sears a man's heart. Idolatry, that is worshiping, giving our worth to money, to ambition, to things. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is very simple. It is the attempt to alter and influence the spirit realm by positive affirmations, incantations, and spells. It is at the very heart of prosperity preaching in America today. Many pastors are really more like witches than children of the living God because they preach that you can alter the spirit realm through positive affirmations and incantations. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Please, could I just stop a moment? Selfishness being more concerned about me and mine than I am about you and yours. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
now, please. If you sit and drink in the wickedness of television, you are in reality approving of the behavior you are seeing on the screen and your spirit is participating in it. What happens when you sit down to watch a show, you open your heart and your mind, and the filters are removed, and all of that filth floods into your heart, and it changes you. It makes you an instrument of darkness subject to destruction. Now, I've been reading some material by George, if I can find his name, George Watson. And he talks about when God begins to conquer us through our submitting to him, our repenting, turning from our sin. He says he takes all of the the flint or the hardness out of our nature. And we begin to receive deep visions in the spirit of Jesus. And we begin to see the gentleness of spirit in this dark, unheavenly world. We begin to see the criminality, the vileness of how we have lived We begin to see the deformities in our heart, which sin has has brought upon us. Now, these deformities, hardness, roughness, severity, harshness, bluntness, sourness, rudeness, curtness, We begin to see these stinging, cutting words and manners and gestures. The look and the tone of our voice. You see this. And you know that it's the fruit of the sin that I just identified for you. But when we come to Jesus, we begin to receive a refined spirit, a gentle spirit. In all circumstances, one who does not bite and destroy and devour. Now, I've seen utterly wicked men and women who are perfectly beautiful, handsome people, and they have a voice that is soft and caring, This is not the divine gentleness I'm speaking about. This is not the refinement I'm speaking of. That's the refinement of the world, and it's simply an overcasting of a wicked heart. When we come and truly repent before God, there is a subduing, removing, changing of the heart. I want you to begin to understand what will happen to you 
if you are willing to leave your religion and seek after Jesus. Your inner heart will become gentle, not weak, not soft, not sentimental, but you will begin to receive a gentle, bold spirit that deals very plainly with reality, and there will be a pulsing zeal in your heart for God. The grace of the Spirit settles down on a person if they will just repent of their sin and give themselves totally into the hand of God. So few of you who call yourselves Christians are humble. It's so easy to say, oh, I'm right, and take the Christian faith and put it over a wicked heart. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about something that is of the very character of God He is not rough and hostile. He is kind. He is loving. He is merciful. But he will not tolerate rebellion and sin. The devil is rough and ugly and harsh. And God will not allow that in his heaven. Every branch of God's government is filled with a majestic quietness and gentleness that shows what his true character is. He has given us a beautiful earth to live upon. He has given us a place of exquisite beauty. It is a divine refinement. This happens to everything that God touches. But when we look at his moral government, we will see an outpouring of his wrath on nations, on individuals. But there is no personal revenge or pleasure on God's part. God comes with patience and tender pleading. And he weeps as he punishes and destroys. But don't mistake his kindness and his gentleness for weakness. For he will send his thunderbolts with tremendous power and judgment as he is doing now in California. His desire is to break the hearts of the toughest old sinner, with a touch of love and kindness and mercy. And if that person will not respond, there then will be absolutely no excuse. And that person will be subject to the total judgment of God as God reclaims his breath. Now let's not Let's not make sentimental this work of turning and repenting to God. You will undergo 
severe suffering when you begin to turn to God. For when you turn to God, we must die before we are turned into the gentle, caring love of our Father. Crucifixion involves suffering. It is a very real breaking and crushing of the wicked heart. And it is for this reason that we come to you and say very boldly, if you are still walking in any known sin, you are in the utmost danger of God reclaiming from you his breath of life. And if he does, you will die and you will be cast into the fires of hell. So on one hand, we have God's incredible love and mercy and gentleness. We have, however, a call to allow total crucifixion of the old man and the wicked heart. We have the call to turn from darkness to light, to be converted. And today, many of you have thought you were saved and you were converted, but you still walk in rebellion against the Most High God. You cannot be saved and still walk in that rebellion against the Most High God. It is utterly impossible. It says that you have not been crucified with Christ. You have not been transformed into a new creature. You are the same old, same old, just dressed up in a Halloween garment that says Christian. But you're not a Christian. You may participate in religious activities and give money to the church or even to this radio broadcast. But if you are still walking in rebellion against the Most High, if you have not been willing to be crucified and go through the suffering of having your entire life crushed, if you have not put yourself on the altar of burnt offering, if you have not sacrificed yourself to the Most High God, if you have not turned from that flippant, naturally headstrong, position, if you have not lost the flint of your soul, the stubborn rebellion, if you've not allowed that to be ground to powder, you cannot be saved. Our beautifully constructed delusions of salvation must be crushed to pieces. We must bear the real death marks of Calvary. Do you understand? You can't just lay down your life and say, okay, Jesus, I'll belong to you, and then walk away and keep your life. 
but rather you must lie in that tomb and you must have a very real death in the hidden details of your life. And it will involve a great deal of quiet suffering. The bearing of a thousand pains and and many secret crosses. This occurs after the instantaneous process of being utterly converted and changed. And the coming in of Jesus Christ. There must not be a satisfaction in the outward works of what we call Christianity if there has not been a breaking of the inner man and having been filled with an intense love for Jesus and for people. Do you understand? We are called to lay our life down for Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. So today I come to you, and I ask honestly, Are you a new creation, or are you still walking in rebellion against the Most High? Have you been crucified with Jesus Christ? Have you turned aside from all of the wicked behavior that your conscience has been speaking to you of? Have you laid your life down for Jesus? Now, if your heart is hungry, if your heart says, I need Jesus, and you know that you're walking in sin, I invite you to go to the webpage. It is revivalnow.church. Read all the information, sign up for the newsletter, and then I ask, please, this coming Monday night, would you come to the revival meeting? at the All Saints Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. The All Saints Church on next Monday night will be a scene of honest and true revival of men and women turning and obeying Jesus Christ. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. 
888-222-2292. You can listen to these broadcasts by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. This broadcast will be posted this evening or this afternoon, and you can listen to it again. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. We meet every Sunday at 12 noon at the All Saints Anglican Church. And again, the address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Drive around to the backside, come in the double glass doors that says Lower Lobby, and you'll find the worship center on the left-hand side. Lord Jesus, I ask for your mercy for every person who has listened to this broadcast that they would have an opportunity while they yet have your breath in them to repent, to turn from all religion and seek you alone, Jesus. Lord, would you come and meet with each one now and with your mighty Holy Spirit cause them to repent for they have that ability if they'll simply choose. I thank you, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with Jesus.